We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Just one guest on the show today. Zabe is going to be on with me. He'll join me starting in the second segment. He'll be on with us in the third segment as well. If you missed Mike Rizzo, the Nats GM, he was on yesterday's show. If you go to yesterday's show and go to the 28 minute 17 second mark, that's the 28 17 mark, uh, you can listen to Mike Rizzo, who was kind enough to spend 20 or so minutes with us on yesterday's show. Many of you enjoyed that. Many of you enjoyed the little gift I put at the end of yesterday's show. Uh, It just popped up on YouTube the other day. It was Howard Cosell at the beginning of Monday Night Football introducing Cowboys versus Redskins in 1978. Uh, I may add something else to the end of today's show. Things just pop up every once in a while on YouTube, and I end up going down that hole of watching some of it. And, um, you know, as we approach the end of the Dan Snyder era, which should be uh, a week away and counting, uh, it's nice to kind of remember the way it was before he took over. Hopefully we will get back to that point. By the way... On Thursday of next week, July 20th, the day that we think the owners will ratify Josh Harris as the new owner of the team, and whether it's that day or the day after, Snyder and Harris will close the deal, Snyder will be gone. We're going to celebrate this down at the bullpen right next to Nats Park. The radio station, everybody from the radio station will be down there. Uh, It starts at 4.30, doors open up, live music, food trucks, beer, drinks, uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, Hopefully you can join us down there. I will be down there. I'm looking forward to being down there a week from uh, yesterday, so Thursday, July 20th. It's called Burgundy and Sold. Uh, Pretty good name for a day that we will celebrate together. Uh, down at the bullpen next to Nats Park. Uh, The guys from 106.7 The Fan will be there. Uh, People from WPGC, 94.7. All of the stations that are owned by the Odyssey Group, which includes the Team 980, will all be down there. Please come down. I know I've met many of you, but many of you I haven't met, and this would be a good opportunity. Doors open again, 4.30, 
Thursday, July 20th at the Bullpen on Half Street. The show today is sponsored by our good friends at the Circa Resort and Casino in Sportsbook out in Las Vegas, and specifically their Circa Million contest and their Circa Survivor pool. Now, the Circa Million guarantees $6 million in prizes. $1 million goes to the winner. This is picking five games a week with the spread, and at the end of the year, the person with the best overall record will win a million bucks, but there are plenty of in-season prizes that will total another $5 million in guaranteed prizes. That's the Circa Million presented by the Circa Sportsbook out in Vegas. The Circa Survivor Pool is just like any other Survivor. Pool. You pick one team straight up, no spread every week. Uh, you can only pick uh, the same team once per season. So each team gets picked once per season. And if you lose, you're out, but you're allowed up to 10 entries per person. Now you do have to sign up in Vegas at the Circa or one of the Circa properties, but you can make your picks from anywhere via a proxy. But these are the two biggest contests in Las Vegas for the upcoming NFL season, and they are big ones. Uh, So if you find yourself out in Vegas or you want to take a trip out to Vegas, make sure to sign up for either the Circa Million or the Circa Survivor. I saw this right before the show started. And I was a bit surprised by it. Um, Bill Belichick's friends are concerned that he is on the hot seat entering the 2023 season. Since Tom Brady left to go to Tampa, the Patriots are 25 and 25 over the regular season, and they have failed to make the playoffs in two of the three seasons, and remember the one season they did make the playoffs with Mac Jones as a rookie in 2021, they got absolutely blown out in Buffalo in the wild card round, 47-17. to But Bill Belichick on the hot seat? Come on. There's no way that Bill Belichick could get fired. I understand the relationship with Robert Kraft is hot and cold, and the Boston Globe's Ben Volan reports how tightly knit Mac Jones appears to be with Robert Kraft in his camp, Uh, but I can't imagine, honestly, that Robert Kraft would fire Bill Belichick. But yes, according to the Boston Globe's Ben Volan, Volan writes that Belichick's close friends have privately said they are worried that he is on the hot seat entering the 2023 season. If that's actually true, I mean, the Patriots are not, you know, in good position to have a great season. Look, I think they're very good defensively. It's a very good defensive team. But listen to how they open up 2023. They open up with Philadelphia at home, all right, the defending NFC champions. Then they play at home against the Dolphins, all right? The Dolphins are supposed to be better than New England in the upcoming season. And then they have back-to-back games against the Jets on the road with Aaron Rodgers and the Cowboys on the road. First four games, Philly, Miami, both at home, at Jets, at Dallas. 
they'll be underdogs in all four of those games. I guess there's a chance a chance they could be a favorite or it could be some sort of pick'em situation against the Dolphins uh, in week two, but more likely than not, they're going to be an underdog. Um, in their first four games, which include opening up with two games at home. In the week one game against the Eagles, they are four-and-a-half-point dogs at my bookie. All right, four-and-a-half-point dogs in week one. Um, By the way, it doesn't get much easier after that. They've got a game against New Orleans, Derek Carr. Uh, They've got a road game at Vegas, and then they go Buffalo and Miami before they'll play a game against Washington at home on November 5th, that could be the first game that they're favored in. Now, New Orleans at home maybe in week five. Uh, But if Bill Belichick's on the hot seat, it's going to be hard for them to get off to a quick start. I like them defensively. I really do. I think the Patriots are a very good defensive team, as they were last year. Very good defensively. Remember, they drafted Christian Gonzalez, the corner from Oregon. Uh, remember, by the way, that Gonzalez was selected one pick after Emmanuel Forbes. And also remember, the Patriots traded back. They traded with the Steelers uh, and moved back from 14 to 17, which was one selection after Washington. They knew that Washington had interest in Emmanuel Forbes and that Gonzalez would be there. And they allowed the Steelers to jump in front of the Jets to grab that offensive lineman from Georgia, Broderick Jones, because they thought the Jets might be interested. But also remember that Washington was talking to New England as well about trading up to that number 14 spot. We saw that in the video that the team put out where we saw Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera and Marty Herney discussing a potential deal with New England. Washington was on the phone with New England, and New England wanted a bit too much, and Washington held their ground. Now, Ben Standig was the one that kind of put this out there, and I agreed with him, that Washington wasn't interested in trading up two spots to take Emmanuel Forbes. They knew Forbes was going to be there at 16. What they were probably doing was looking to trade up to take Lucas Van Ness, the pass rusher from Iowa, who went to the Packers at 13, one spot ahead of the Patriots at 14. So Washington, you know, once Van Ness was off the board, didn't have interest in trading up anymore, and the Steelers pulled off that trade with the Patriots. But it is interesting to think about, and I know we've talked about this before. We talked about it, you know, shortly after Washington put out that video that, uh, you know, detailed their interest in moving up a few spots. If they had selected Van Ness, it's doubtful that Chase Young would be on the roster right now. Or let me just say that it's certainly possible that Chase Young would not be on the roster. They would have likely turned around and traded Chase Young for whatever they could get on night two, more likely day three of the draft, something like a fourth rounder, which we knew had been offered for Chase Young and the team wasn't interested in taking a fourth rounder. They had made it very clear that they were open and listening to offers for Chase Young, but they weren't going to take a a day three pick. But if they had selected Lucas Van Ness, it's very possible they would have taken a day three pick. 
Anyway, uh, back to the Patriots. I like the Patriots team this year defensively, but I do not like their team offensively. They finished third last year defensively in Football Outsiders DVOA metric. All right, behind San Francisco and Dallas. The top 10 defenses per the DVOA metric. San Francisco was one, Dallas was two, New England was three, Buffalo four, the Jets were five. Then it was Philly at six, Baltimore at seven, New Orleans at eight. New Orleans was really good defensively last year, especially as the season uh, went along. Washington was nine, as we've talked about before, and Denver was at 10. I still can't imagine Bill Belichick being on the hot seat. They should be good defensively, but it will be tough early on. Uh, there was another story uh, that I saw right before beginning to record this podcast. Um, I saw it on CBSSports.com. It was Antoine Winfield Jr., the Bucks uh, defensive back, who was interviewed by Richard Sherman on Richard Sherman's podcast. And he said about a possible Tom Brady return to Tampa, quote, I'm sure we're still reaching out to him to see if he's trying to come back to the team. It could happen. Anything's possible, closed quote. Look, Brady, you know, we know didn't take the Fox gig to start this year. Uh, And we also know that he's about to become potentially a small equity holder in the Vegas Raiders. And that has not been approved yet by the league. But I don't see I don't see Brady going back to Tampa, no matter what Antoine Winfield says, and I don't see Bill Bill Belichick being on a hot seat. But Bill Belichick's friends think he's on the hot seat, and Antoine Winfield Jr. thinks the team is still reaching out to Brady to see if he's interested. By the way, you know that NFC South is an interesting division. I personally think the Saints are the best overall roster. Um, And they've got the most, I guess, stable quarterback situation uh, with Derek Carr. I'm not the biggest Derek Carr fan, but right now you'd have to say that Derek Carr is the best, you know, he's the known in that division, you know, even though it's going to be exciting to watch Bryce Young in Carolina. Uh, We'll see about Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. But Tampa, um, they've got to decide between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. You know, maybe they still think that Brady's a possibility. Um, I don't know. I think we started to see some signs with Brady, although that offensive line was a mess for him at times uh, last year. The Kyle Trask thing uh, versus Baker Mayfield, I would assume Baker Mayfield is the front runner for that, but I always thought Kyle Trask at Florida looked like an NFL quarterback. Um, big dude, you know, they selected him in the second round, remember, the the uh, Buccaneers did last year. Um, you know, a pocket passer for sure. Uh, but that's what they've had there for the last three years uh, with Brady. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted to read this tweet that I got um, today uh, from Benjamin. I did finish the uh, Netflix series quarterback last night. I really enjoyed it. Man, it's getting rave reviews. I had uh, one of the three directors on the radio show today. His name was Tim Rumpf. He's actually a local. He's from here. Uh, He directed the Kirk Cousins portion 
of the quarterback series. Uh, it was not intentional that I got him on because he did the cousins part. He was just the only guy that was available to come on. Uh, but I got this tweet from Benjamin. Kevin, quarterback is your best suggestion yet, but I can't believe you didn't spend more time talking about your guy. He steals the show. Kirk Cousins is a bad boy, and judging by social media reaction, NFL fans have a whole new image of who he is as a quarterback and a person. But yes, the lack of enemy involvement was as obvious as you described it. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time talking about the Cousins thing. I actually, you know, I did say that, you know, man, tough son of a bitch. I mean, what you see is you see a guy, I think we've, even his detractors, even those those of you who are listening that are not Kirk Cousins fans, I think you would admit that this dude's tough. I mean, he takes a beating and does not miss games. And he played last year with bruised ribs for a significant portion of the year and was hit more than any other quarterback in the league. And you see that as part of this show. Um, But, yeah, uh, I do and I have recognized that Kirk Cousins um, is uh, a highlight of this show with a lot of people who have watched it. And I I understand why. I mean – Look, I think a lot of the, the stuff with Kirk I kind of knew anyway, and a lot of you guys know, um, but he comes off as very likable. Uh, he comes off as one tough, you know, ombre for sure. He comes off as, you know, a pro's pro, but I think we've always known that. And I know yesterday maybe I focused on a couple of the things that were maybe flaws, but I, I think the one thing, and I forget if I said it yesterday or not, But I think the one thing that I would say that I learned about Cousins, I'm going to get to Biennemi here in a moment uh, and add to the Biennemi conversation that we started yesterday. But, you know, Kirk is a perfectionist, and because of it, there's a lot of anxiety around trying to be perfect. I think you see that revealed in this series And I think Kevin O'Connell, his head coach, recognizes it. And, you know, it's a bit of a challenge to deal with that. Like, there's an example. When they came back against Indianapolis in the largest comeback in NFL history, down 33-0 at the half, and they're driving in overtime and they eventually settle for a 40-yard field goal attempt, Kirk actually says, it's too long, it's too far. Like, he's mic'd up. You know, this is the great thing about – I mean, everything they do is mic'd up. And he said it's too far. And I'm thinking, too far? Dude, what are you talking about? 40 yards is a chip shot. Now, I know that they had trouble with their kicker, Greg Josephs. I mean, this guy blew two games the year before. They would have been a playoff team in 2022 – in 2021 had it not been for their kicker. Um, But – uh, 40 yards is a chip shot, but it's Kirk obsessing over, I should have gotten him closer. And there's too much, I think it's a bit of a flaw, actually. I think there's too much anxiety with Kirk over trying to be perfect instead of having more Rex Grossman in his personality, you know, effort. I'm, th- I'm going deep. But, you know, that's not him. We've known that has never been him. But I think what's revealed during this is he is a perfectionist. He's a pro, I mean, through and through. 
Um, and the guy that I had on the radio show uh, really loved being a part of that particular quarterback of the three that were on the show. And Kirk is, you know, uh, you know, uh, if, if you look at the response to this show, um, the reaction to Cousins is as uh, significant as, as anybody else on the show. Now, let me get to uh, adding to the enemy conversation from yesterday. Um, I told you guys that the biggest takeaway for me for the first seven episodes, and I watched the final episode last night, which was the AFC Championship game with Mahomes and then the Super Bowl with Mahomes. But the biggest takeaway for me was just how little we saw of Eric Bieniemy in the first seven episodes. There just is very little Eric Bieniemy. Um, and more important than that was that the interaction between Patrick Mahomes and the sideline was always with Matt Nagy, you know, and Chad Henney as well and Andy Reid, and very little, if any, with Eric Bieniemy. Now, obviously, this is an edited show, and maybe the best stuff with Bieniemy was edited out. And I also, you know, gave the caveat yesterday that I had not seen the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl episode, which was going to be the final episode, which I watched last night. And let me just say, there is more Eric Bieniemy in the final episode. There's more interaction between uh, Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy. But still, overall, again, an edited product understood. It's very clear that Matt Nagy, who was the quarterback's coach, it's very clear he's the offensive coordinator. He's the go-to guy to discuss everything that's going on in-game. Um, but anyway, we'll see. Again, I mean, this doesn't mean that Eric Bieniemy, uh, you know, is going to fail here in D.C. It's not what I said, and I haven't said that. What I have said is that he had no other options other than D.C. That's just a fact, and that's a red flag associated with Eric Bieniemy is that nobody else, none of the other 30 teams in the league, now some of them didn't have any reason to hire Eric Bieniemy because they already have a head coach or they already already have a really good offensive coordinator. But let's just say that, you know, 10 other teams had a need. Um, none of those teams were interested in him, not as a head coach, but as an offensive coordinator. And Clearly, Kansas City was going to give the OC job to Matt Nagy, even, I think, even if Biennemi stayed um, or if he was asked back, which I think Andrew, Andy Reid would have done. But again, it doesn't mean that Eric Biennemi won't be better than Scott Turner um, and that he won't spread his wings and fly high now that he's left Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and that group, Travis Kelsey, as if he's got those kinds of weapons here. It's going to be a challenge, and it was going to be a challenge for any new offensive coordinator, especially if they go with Sam Howell, which I think they're going to go with Sam Howell. Um, one uh, other quick thing before we get to Zabe, um, and that is this. I, I did learn uh, after yesterday's show um, that uh, by talking to a couple of people close to the Harris group, that they anticipate the vote by the owners is going to happen 
a week from yesterday, on July 20th. And they also expect that the deal will close. Um, I was told by two different sources the wiring instructions for the $5.85 billion or whatever it is um, have already been provided to the Harris Group. So there's an expectation with those close to the Harris Group that this deal is going to be ratified by the owners on July 20th and that it will close shortly thereafter. All right, Steve Zabin next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. This segment of the podcast brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All of the preseason NFL prop bets are up there and available. All of the week one lines. Hell, you can bet week two games right now at MyBookie, but you've got to use my promo code Kevin DC. Uh, jumping on with me right now is my good friend Steve Zabin at Zabe on Twitter. He hosts uh, the uh, number one show in Milwaukee uh, and has been uh, a Wisconsin guy from Northern Virginia for several years. But that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about things that he wants to talk about and a few things that I want to talk about. But you are on your way where right now with your father? Uh, we we are headed towards Dover Downs Casino for a little one night junket, and we're gonna go take the tables down, right, Dad? For sure. We're crush them. <laughs> they will they will know what hit them. We're the we're the father son tag team card counting duo. We're gonna make uh, the the syndicate that took down Vegas look like child's play. I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to think. Have you and I gambled together? Have we been in Vegas at no. the same time? No, you and I have never gone to Vegas together at the same time, which is a glaring and egregious hole in our life resumes. Yeah, it is. I mean, because you had all of the, you know, the Sweet 16 weekends. I never went on those. But for some reason, I thought we were out there together during one of those fight junkets that the station sent us on. No. Maybe not. Maybe not. I would have I would have remembered it. I certainly I do not recall it. <laughs> I don't think we ever went. I can tell you this. I sat in a casino playing cards with Doc one night until about 5 a.m. 
Yeah, that was that was that must have been something. And I've done it with Lovey uh, several times because Tommy and I w- were out in Vegas several times together for you know. The, remember, HBO would like pay stations to send like a show yeah. or two out there, and they'd put us up in nice places and feed us and give us you know credentials to whatever the fight was. Do they not? Do they not do that anymore? Um, I have no idea. Or that, they just haven't. Haven't done it for you. Let me just let me just say I, I think they're steering clear of AM radio stations these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering they're about to yank AM out of cars right. going forward, I'd say that's probably a good technology wager. Yeah, for sure. Um you did tell me that you were on a a nice golf trip recently. Where were you? Oh, trip of a lifetime. We were uh, in Scotland. Playing all the Rota courses, uh, me and 11 other hooligans, and it was epic. We uh, played 180 holes, uh, 10 rounds in eight days, 36 holes, two of the eight days. Oh, my God. And of the 180 holes we played, there was only five holes that required, that even prompted me to put on my rain suit. So that's pretty darn good for going over there. So you hit great weather. So give me the list of courses you played. So we started, uh, we, we actually had a preview round at Glen Eagles where they held the Ryder Cup, right? Um, which was a really underwhelming course because it was so basic. It's like a resort course. Glen Eagles is a big resort up in the highlands of Scotland. It's not a Lynx course. It's in the center of the country. And uh, they, uh, they built a course there that was pretty much designed to host big events, so uh, we played there first, and then the official tour started. We went all the way down to the southwest to um, Turnberry, played 36 at Turnberry, played, played 18 and 18. There's two courses there. They're both excellent, but the championship course, the Elsa, is spectacular. It's my favorite one of all the rotor courses in uh, Scotland. It's where they had the duel in the sun, Nicholas and Watson, 1977, right. where Yep, I believe Watson shot 65 on Sunday. Nicholas shot 66. It's also where Stuart Sink uh, dashed Watson's dreams of becoming the oldest major winner ever uh, in that famous playoff. So it's a historic place. It's no longer in the Rota because, well, Trump. And right. you know, they're not ready to bring it back there. It's a, it's a shame because it, it's worthy of having the Open. From there, we went up and hit Troon en route to um, Muirfield, and then we went from Muirfield to the old course, old course to Kingsbarns, which is a new course, Kingsbarns, up to Trump International and Aberdeen, played Royal Aberdeen while we were up there, and then our way to the airport the last day we had Carnoustie. Jesus. Oh, we also played Prestwick the day we played Troon. So that's every course that's held the Open in Scotland. There's a whole batch of them that's held the Open in the U.K. Right. That's my next life goal to go there. And then there's one that held it in Ireland, Royal Portrush, which Shane Lowry won, and I got to go there. So I got to get cracking. You want to go? Well, not to mention there are other great courses in Ireland. No, you you, you just completed. There's other great courses, yeah. yeah. But I feel now a compulsion to complete the set. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, you hit all of them. Uh, 
No, I haven't done that trip. So I had this trip planned right before the pandemic. Um, the summer of 2020, we had a trip planned. Uh, we had a Scotland trip planned for that summer that we had to bail on. And we've been trying. And you were able to fold that. You were able to fold that up because we had ours planned for that summer as well, the summer of 2020. Yeah. But the way that it worked, like our money was kind of hung up in limbo. Not because the hotels and the courses were not issuing refunds. They said they would give a credit for future rounds. And the tour operator was caught in the middle with people like us going, hey, just refund the whole trip. We've paid our deposits. And they're like, we can't do that. The hotel short of threatening legal action and finding out just what the consumer laws regarding refunds are in Scotland, <laughs> we had no choice but to ride it out. So following year, 2021, things still weren't right. 2022, they had the open at St. Andrews, so that knocked out our tee times there. We weren't going to go and not play the old course. Right. So we waited and waited and waited, and it was worth the wait because it was a great trip. No, I hate to tell you, we were fully refunded. Um, yeah. I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how that worked. Where were you going? Uh, so we were going to play the old course at St. Andrews. We had a Muirfield and a Turnberry part of it. And then there was another course that was not a, um, was not a British Road open cut. course. Loch Lomond uh, maybe was it? Um, Loch Lomond, yeah. Loch yeah. Lomond was outstanding. Yeah. Uh, so I think they were all a part of it. But by the way, how did you play? I actually played... Pretty well. I broke 80 a couple of times, which is no small feat. And two of my best rounds were 81s in pretty heavy wind conditions at really hard courses like Trump International. So I was happy. I was good. But I mean, I could have shot a million. I wouldn't have cared. I just loved the camaraderie of the fellas. And I'd done this trip before, but I loved it so much. I wanted to show like a, a new group of guys because I had a bunch of golf buddies that didn't go on the first trip. And they're like, oh, that sounds great. And I'm like, well, I'll do it again. And so it was nice to see their reaction and their appreciation of just how different it is and also the history behind everything. Because, you know, we did everything like we, we went to old Tom Morris's grave at the St. Andrew's Cathedral, the ruins of the St. Andrew's Cathedral. You know, that's like a, a must-do if you go to Scotland as a golfer. You have to visit old Tom and young Tommy's grave, which are right there in the ruins of this ancient cathedral. Were there any tea times early that were difficult to get up for after the night before, or did you guys take it uh-huh. easy on yourselves after long 36 whole days? Well, yes. The tea times for middle-aged men after that much golf <laughs> were hard to get up for. <laughs> Moving, and you were out there playing, I think all of that melted away, and you were just glad to be out there playing, you were excited, you were in awe, you were like, just, you were in the moment, you know? But but the last day when I woke up, I, like, if the, if the hotel was on fire, I said I would have burned up to a crisp because I couldn't move. Like, I was just tiptoeing to the bathroom, and I thought, how could I possibly play <laughs> golf later that day? Yeah. But by the time I had some breakfast, Diet Coke in me, and a couple Tramadols, I'm like, boom, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I think for me it would have been four Advil and a transfusion or two, and then I would have been in good shape. Um, <laughs> that works as well. Yeah. That works as well. So since you had your trip canceled, you, you've got to stand it up again. You I gotta, know. 
Uh, there are, you know, we'll we'll continue this conversation at some other time because I want to get to some other stuff. But there are a f- you, you've done a lot of the big golf trips. I've done a very small fraction of them. Um, like you've been to Bandon. Well, which are the, all right, which are the which are the big which are the big golf trips? I'd like to know what you consider the big golf trip. Well, I've you know I've I've certainly done South Carolina. I've done Kiowa, the whole thing, and played there, and and done that several times. I've done the whole Carolina thing at Pinehurst and Pine Needles, okay. and 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 some of those. Um, uh, I've done a I lot. I've not done Bandon. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's on my list. Everybody says that you have to do Bandon. Everybody says you have to do the whole Wisconsin thing, which I'm I'm assuming you've done. Well, obviously, and yeah. just recently, uh, DJ Pye from No Laying Up played all 10 of the 10 Wisconsin courses currently rated in the golf top, just top 100 places you can play in the state. They played all 10, him and a TV guy, in I want to say two days, mm-hmm. 48 hours. They wow. played five rounds a day. They were up at like 4.30 with glow balls, and then they just blitzed through the courses. But, yeah, you definitely have to do Wisconsin. Yeah. But, man, I got to tell you, Sheen, it's getting so expensive. The high-end public accessible course courses and golf in America, it's kind of decoupling from guys like you and I who I think are – you know, not billionaires that want to play and are willing to splurge for nice golf. It's not two fifty around, which is enough to make a lot of people's knees buckle. It's five six hundred yeah, around. I know, I know. But and did, did you that's not a bit crazy? I mean, I, I I could swing it at that rate, but I wouldn't be happy about it. No, I, I hear you now. Uh, not, maybe not in Scotland, but I got. I have to assume that you have some ability to play at the family rate in, in some of these places, especially in Wisconsin. You would be surprised. I'm actually going to be playing Aaron Hill a week. You hold on, you broke up there for a second. You're gonna be playing it. you're gonna be playing Aaron Hills, I think is what you I'll said. Be playing, yes. You're gonna be playing Aaron Hills a week from Sunday and we did get a discount rate, but only because we've got a very good relationship with the pro. Right. But it's it's hard to get and we were we wanted to get on Black Wolf Run River. Right. Which is incredible. It's also the hardest course I've ever played. It's ridiculous, but I love it. And we couldn't get a rate at all. And we were bringing twelve guys. We're like we got twelve guys, you know, drop my name as a low level celebrity. Can we get a rate? They're like, yeah, no. <laughs> I was going to ask you. So it was going to be. It was going to be. It was going to be five hundred dollars, and a lot of the guys in Wisconsin are like, "We're, we're just not going to pay that. We just can't. We won't." Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you. Actually, um, it's funny. I was going to say, "What's the hardest course of of you know these v- exotic tri- golf trips? What's the hardest course you've ever played?" And it's Black Wolf Run. Black Wolf Run River, just because, as I say, there's X on every hole, you know? <laughs> right. Like, excavating, you're, you're, just you're done. You're, just you're, you're done. Up. You've already you've all lost two balls. There's waist-high grass, there's water, there's just out-of-bounds, yeah, all of it. Yeah. So uh, that one's one of the hardest. Obviously, conditions factor in. Trump International up in Aberdeen is outrageously 
laid out and designed where you want, you look at the whole thing, what amateurs could handle this, especially in any kind of weather. So I'd say those would be amongst the hardest courses. I think down in Pinehurst, when they got the courses running really firm and fast. Well, two is impossible. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing because you're having to chip off of the tightest, firmest, barest of lies around the greens and sandy patches and everything else. I mean, if you're not sevy like you're gonna, you're gonna, the numbers are gonna pile up quick. You know, so I, I think that all depends. I, I think that number two was actually it, it's it's pretty, I guess, um, but it's not like the ocean course, which is spectacularly no. beautiful and super hard. But at least the walk is, uh, or the ride is is really really pretty. Number two at Pinehurst is too hard and. I don't think it's aesthetically pleasing. You know, uh, is it number seven or number nine there is really the one that's better for, you know, mid and high handicappers. Um, but the, the ocean. I, I have not. Yeah. I have not played number two. I'm going to play number two. I've not played number two. I've played eight down there. Um, they added a 10th course. They bought it. It was yeah. a Nicholas design that was not part of the original resort. It's down the street. And they're building another one right now, as a matter of fact, on some property. But, yeah, uh, it, it's very hard, and it's not aesthetically pleasing. There's no signature hole at Pinders number 2. No. They don't really have any postcard hole that you can go, like you see it in a calendar or in a magazine where you go, oh, that's Pinehurst. Right. Other than, say, 18, right, with the Payne Stewart statue. I did play the ocean course at Kiowa. I got it, though, on a very benign day in terms of the wind. So that definitely colored my opinion of how difficult it could be. But coming home, the holes are just brutal, <laughs> as brutal. we saw at the Ryder Cup. Yeah, brutal because of the wind, because they're right on the ocean. But it's so spectacularly beautiful. And they also have, they've got tees that make it doable. Like, I, I've, I've done that sure. a few times. And, and there, you know, there are places out in Arizona like um, that can be really, really difficult, too. But I, I, I love desert golf, too. I love being out there, especially when it's beautiful weather there and not so nice here. Although you and I love the bad yeah, weather desert. when we get it here. Well, I, well, we, we like winter weather. Right. I do like weather. I, I, it, it does, and the seasons are comforting to me that you go through them. But when you're sick of winter and you're out in Arizona and you're playing golf in what feels like dome conditions, right. it makes you start questioning everything about your life, doesn't it? Well, Why yeah. am I not here? Why am I not here year-round? Yes, and so let me ask you, because we're both getting to that point where you're starting to think about things like this. Florida, Arizona, yeah. South Carolina, where? Bro, I've been through, I, I do the lap around all three, and I make the case for all three. It changes depending on what I'm zillowing at any given moment, <laughs> because... I have absolutely thought of all three places. Now, I don't know Arizona very well. I'm sorry, I don't know Florida very well. I know Arizona well. I don't know Florida that well. And if it's South Carolina, it would be Hilton Head, where we will be going as a family for the fourth straight year. After really not going there ever, we've grown quite the affinity for it. So I can see for sure South Carolina, but you know Florida has a lot going for it. 
you know, low taxes, a state that's got a lot, you know, yeah. but the bugs, the bugs and the humidity and the thunderstorms <laughs> yeah. in Florida and well, the red and the rednecks and Florida, man. Oh my God. Well, and, and the West coast, the red tide, which I don't know if I, if I talked about <laughs> this, but Kara and I were down there, um, in March or April and we were yeah. we were uh, on the west coast where my father and his wife are, and we were in Naples. And the red tide was you couldn't breathe; it was so bad. <laughs> so we got in the car and we went the across. Red tide, the red tide is seaweed, right? Yeah, it's like this algae that comes in and it's it kills yeah. fish. It can't it's it can't be healthy. And yet, you know, everybody says, "Oh, it's fine, go," but you just don't stay that long on the beach and don't go in the water, like. How I don't get the people that are in Naples and Sarasota and some of the beautiful spots on the West Coast right now with that red tide. We dro- we got in the car and drove across the state to Palm Beach and ended up staying there. But anyway, um, the problem with South I hear, Carolina I hear, is it, I hear Naples. I hear Naples is spectacular. Naples I've is great. Been. It's great. Um, the the thing with South Carolina is it it does get cold. It gets chilly in the winter. You know, so it's not yeah. it's not necessarily year round, but so, I love Charleston that's personally. Okay. A little a little kiss of winter, as Bill Rafter would say. <laughs> a kiss. All right. Um, I, I could have I could have retired in North Carolina in somewhere around Charlotte or Raleigh. Well, you worked there. I think that's one of the. I did, and I really thought it was the ideal weather because you did get all four seasons. You got a kiss of winter. Spring came super early. The summer was hot and humid, but no worse than here in D.C. And the falls, the falls, Kevin, last forever. Yeah. I mean, they just run and run and run all the way into November, and it's glorious. Yeah, but you don't get there, or very rarely do you get the, what you and I both love, which is... Winter storm warning, 6 to 12 <laughs> expected over the next 12 hours. All right. I um, know. Uh, let's get to some football talk, and we'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. 
I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Zabe is with us. Uh, he is in a vehicle headed to Dover um, to play cards with his father uh, for a night. That sounds like fun. I've done that with my dad, by the way. We've done that um, a few times on kind of family trips where there's been gambling. Uh, we did it in Costa Rica together. Costa Rica? I think that's no. what it was. Um uh, that may have been the last time, or Vegas actually was the last time with my dad. I think we were in Vegas together. Uh, all right, and so cards. You mean blackjack? Yeah, blackjack. Blackjack. Black, we, we. It's always with my brother, my father, and uh, and I. It's always blackjack and craps. That's basically it. That's that's the only thing we'll we'll play. Uh, I, I would love to learn yeah. how to play a couple of um, the other games, but. I, don't, I mean, we're not sitting there pulling slot machines or or, or um, well, there's nothing to learn. We're playing about roulette. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. So, so on the on the blackjack front, I'm I'm sitting here mm-hmm. uh, as I'm thumbing through uh, my dad's printout of the latest edition of Stanford Wong's Blackjack Newsletter, to which he subscribes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hundred nine dollars a year, but it's got intel on pretty much every slab of blackjack felt in the country. What's the rules? How many decks? Are they auto shuffles? Do they have things like surrender? I mean, it's just absolute intel. All right. Chad, is this casino fair that we're going to <laughs> over down? He says they're okay. All right. But I, I tell you what, I, in Vegas, I believe there's fewer and fewer tables that even give you a fighting chance. And we had a hunt when we went last summer, Dad, to go find a couple of decent three-to-two three to, three to two tables. They're all six-to-five with the side carnival games and the terrible rules and the auto shufflers. Not in Vegas. Not in Vegas yes, or Atlantic Vegas. City. Nah. Oh, no, no. Dad, tell Kevin you're not on the job. <laughs> that, that there's not as many good tables in Vegas. Right. Yeah, but they're going away because the publication. Oh, really? You think the publications are helping push back on the tightening of the rules? Okay. They don't even report, you know, they don't even report six to five games. Oh, they don't, no? Yeah, they are carnival games, six to five. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Well, you know what? I'm going to sit there tonight. I'm going to sit there tonight and play the exact same way Dad plays. Same basic strategy. Watch him win and me lose, and then he's going to peacock away from the table. Just, they're like, I'm playing the same way, Dad. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> you got to put the effort into it. He says. 
Yeah. Well, okay. rem- right, when, anyway, remember, Kevin. they didn't build these places because a lot of people walked away as big winners all the time. Um, no. But but you know what? A, to me, like I, I love dice. There's nothing more exciting than a hot dice table um, with a bunch of friends. That's 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 always the best. But you get a good table. You play basic blackjack strategy. You have you know several cocktails. Great conversation. And who knows, you might walk away up a little bit, down a little bit, and that's usually what happens, and it's a fun night. Um, well, that's how, that's how I used to be with blackjack all the time. But I've found that nowadays I can't even enjoy one of those nights. Because? It's getting harder and harder. Oh. Well, I, it, think the, I, think, I, think the, I think the rules have tightened to the point where, I don't know, I, I can't win anymore, and it's not because I'm worse at playing. It's not because I'm doing anything different. I don't know what it is. Seems like those days are over. I tell you, every time I sit down to blackjack, I get punched in the face immediately by the first three to five hands. Immediately. <laughs> Never start out up winning three or four. Never. Well, here's what I can't recommend as, like, you know, a, a, a new fix. Sports gambling. As much as I love it and do it, <laughs> that's not a retirement strategy either. Uh, but think, anyway. Uh, by the way, do you think – do you think the lines are getting sharper in sports gambling because there's so much of it now? Is it getting harder or no? I don't know that it's getting any harder. Uh, I think the biggest thing is that the legalized sports betting entities are super expensive. Um, and, you know, like the, the sponsor of this podcast, my bookie, uh, you know, still has normal bigs and normal pricing, and you're not getting gouged at minus 130 on a straight bet loss. Like, but, you know. See, that's, that's what's crazy, and I think the newbie sports they're gambler naive. doesn't understand no, they that, they don't. and they don't even know how they're getting ripped off. And that's why they are continuing to pay it. And, um, yeah, but, but keep in mind, you know, for a lot of those people, no offense intended, but what's the difference on paying 13 bucks on a $10 bet loss or 11 bucks, you know, because most of those betters are literally like 10, 20, $30 betters. But where it really starts to add up is when you're betting, you know, when you're betting a few hundred bucks or more a game and you're paying minus 124 on a on a straight bet NFL loss. That's ridiculous. You should never do that. Um, all right. Agreed. Do you know a week from today, it's very likely we will have a new owner of the football team here. The Snyder era will have ended. I want you, in, in your Zabe-like way, to tell me how you either have or will describe you know, the Snyder ownership situation over the last 24 years to someone who doesn't know anything about it. He was even worse than you think, and it was even more dysfunctional than you'll ever know. You and I know this because we know people that have been on the inside that have had relationships with the team and with the owner. And so we had intel we couldn't go public with, but it was reliable. And it would peel your eyelids back in terms of the, you got to be kidding me, right? And the answer is no. I'm shocked they won any game, to be honest. And I thought a lot of, I, really, like truly, I, I just, with all the dysfunction that is that was in that run, and uh, the latest Don Van Atta deep dive on the emails 
was just another final footnote into just how messed up everything was. That at the end of it, Snyder and Bruce Allen were at each other's throats. And it was possible that Bruce Allen was trying to get Snyder in trouble by leaking things or vice versa. I just had to chuckle to say, and he brought in Bruce Allen to be his drinking body to give him credibility around the league. Look how it ended up. That's how all of Snyder's relationships ended up. He just possesses a singular knack to be a bad person time and time again. He never learned. He never moved the needle on who he was, never grew to understand what you can and can't do with a professional sports franchise, and the results are right there in black and white. When did you know, um, what was the moment you knew that this was not going to work with him as an owner? Do you remember when you, you, you realized this is going to be a disaster as long as he owns the team? I think once we got into the uh, Zorn fiasco, the end of Gibbs too, that's when you really realized it was hopeless. There was that renewed little shot of hope when he brought in Gibbs the second time dismaying as it was to see Gibbs just sort of fall in line and go along, get along by bringing Vinny back into the fold and the, go out and buy free agents that didn't make the team better, but they thought, you know, Gibbs was like, oh, it's great, we just buy players. Because first time around, Gibbs couldn't buy players. So the second time around, he's like, this is great, let's go buy some players. I got an owner with money, let's buy players. If he's a NASCAR owner, of course he's going to think spending equals success. It does in that sport, but it doesn't in the modern NFL. So it was dismaying to see that, but Gibbs somehow had a modicum of success there. And then the whole Zorn thing unfolded. The Zorn thing said to me, they don't know how to do the basics of an NFL team. They couldn't hire anybody. For 33 days, they flopped around on a boat deck like a fish trying to figure out what are we doing. And then at the end of it, they told Zorn to put on a suit, come back in, interview for the head coaching job, and they gave it to him. I think that would have been the point I would have said, okay, we're really cooked here. That was, you know, it's one of my favorite uh, Tommy stories. Tommy was in the parking lot at uh, at Redskins Park, and Zorn is out in the parking lot on the phone with his wife, and Tommy overhears him saying, no, honey, for the head coaching job. <laughs> and he had to go no. and get a suit to go to the Snyders. By the way, I, I've, always, I've always felt like my first moment of major doubt was Marty, um, him running Marty after one year when everything seemed to be heading in the right direction. But you're right about the Zorn era because it was the first time we started to realize nobody good wants to come here. Now, he eventually attracted Mike Shanahan with a lot of money, but it was like in that moment, it's like, God, everybody around the league views this place as a complete shit show. And um, and it was, it, it was handled so poorly at the end with the bingo caller and Zorn, oh you know. Oh, uh, the whole thing was just so embarrassing. Um, yeah. Other things revealed themselves to me like, when we were the period where we were owned by the team and they were we were doing shows out of Redskin Park because it was 
convenient for Cooley, which was quite convenient for me, too, by <laughs> right. the way. Yes, it was. Inconvenient for Galdi, but uh, too bad for him. Uh, love you, Galdi. Um, being at the park every day, I really saw the lack of attention and detail at every turn. Things that I think matter, like broken little landscaping lights that never got fixed in the property, the, the, the fading skewed practice goalposts on the field they don't use anymore. Just sort of leaning, you know, out of out of whack. The fact that they didn't have a proper kitchen to feed their million-dollar athletes who, you know, nutrition is very important. They were bringing in things like Papa John's. Right. Uh, here, you need some food? Like, we're talking 15-plus years into Snyder's ownership and spending who knows how much money on which players, coaches, and everything else, and he's not spending on this stuff? It's ridiculous. Lack of attention to detail. An unserious franchise in which the owner treats it like a toy and doesn't take good care of that toy either. I think you and I have gotten to the same place in recent years where the passion for the team that we always had growing up and through our adult years it just changed. Like I, I, I've, I've shared with my audience for several years running. I just don't feel the same level of passion for the team. It, he just sucked the life out of it for me, you know. Um, and and the last five, six years have been awful. And I think you kind of feel the same way. When, when did that happen for you? Do you remember when it started to become more of, you know, not necessarily a job talking about them because we love football, but where you weren't as excited about Sunday at 1 as you used to be? Well, really, when the name died, the team died to me. And so I was going to have to find a new team to kind of root for anyway, even if I was still on the air in D.C. and covering this team. Because I'm that way with sports. And people that want to poo-poo that, I say to them, if they're a... Uh, Bears fan, well, what if they name the Chicago Bears the uh, Chicago Cougars? They still want to see on the helmet, but it was different, different, slightly different colors, and you're the Cougars, and you're being told you have to call them the Cougars, the Chicago Cougars. How would you feel about that? That's how I felt. The team name was everything. And, you know, the history of the team, it's still preserved, sort of, but the edges of it are being hidden out of view because of political correctness. So that was always going to be a very tough thing. Um, but as far as just being exhausted with the, I don't feel good about the team, it was a threefold combination. The name number one, the owner number two, and then the stadium number three. I mean, what a disaster of a stadium. Yeah. Um, would anything get you back? Yeah, if they go back to Redskins. But Tell we, me when that happens. Yeah, it's it's not gonna happen. <laughs> what what should if they had if they had if they had if they had done a deaf sort of sidestep to call themselves say the Red Wolves, which is what Smoot had been championing, and if they made the logo a R in a circle with instead of a feather, but a little wolf tail kind of thing, 
and kept the exact same Pantone burgundy and Pantone gold, they would have had a shot with me. Because then you're like, okay, look, we have to get rid of the name because it is what it is. But we're going to do as much as we can to evoke what the team was with that. Other people are like, no, let's get a new name. No, fresh start. Well, how does a fresh start feel? Do you think Commanders is catching on right now? No. No, it's a disaster. Do you think the logo, you think the logo no. is catching on? You and okay. I, we're, you, in, we're, in the same, you, we're in the same place. I know. Well, I'm asking you because you follow it more closely than me. I've, I've punched out. Uh, do you feel do you feel like I do that when you see somebody with an actual commander's piece of gear, hat, shirt, whatever, bumper sticker, that it stops you in your tracks mentally for a second and go, oh, hey, look, somebody has one of these. Because yeah, it does for me. You don't see a lot of it. I don't. <laughs> no. Not at all. And they've had a full year of this rebrand now, or not a full year, right? Or no, they have. Oh, yeah. They've had a year and a half, February, right? Yeah, so two two twenty two. They've had enough time. And, and the whole notion of rebrand is that you're going to have this killer new logo and, and name to energize people's interest in buying gear. Well, that hasn't happened. Yeah. Be, are you in favor of, re, of, of changing the name again when uh, Harrison? Oh, 100%. This has been a, a, a running conversation with the audience where I think the biggest problem I have right now are with the people that kind of lecture you to say, how can this even be near your your priority list? You're, you're, you're a loser right. for thinking that way. I'm like, don't tell me about how I should feel. I feel the way I feel. If you right. feel like you're, you're okay that they've moved on from the name and that you like the commander that's fine i mean i don't have a problem with it but don't don't do the lecturing of how people should feel and by the way you can do more than one thing at, at the same time you can focus on winning hiring a really right. good general manager and focus on the brand i would be very disappointed if i found out that this new group didn't take seriously the brand, um, uh, the current brand, because Zabe, it's several of us, and maybe you did this too. I put out a poll like a month ago, um, you know, whether or not this should be a priority. And it was like overwhelming, like there were five, 6,000 votes and overwhelmingly people are like, this should be a priority. Maybe not the top priority, but a top three priority. Um, and you can do all of those things simultaneously. Yeah. I, I I agree, and it is a matter of parallel tracks where the people that are going to work on the new rebranding of the name are not the ones that are going to be running the football operation. And, in fact, it'll help keep them from thinking about, hey, I just bought this team. Should I start dabbling in the football side? If they're too busy with the name and the rebrand and filing the paperwork and all that other stuff, then good. I like to me that's a bonus. Let the football people football. So I do think it's a dual track thing. Sure. And and I think I, I think ultimately they're gonna have to change it again because the old name has the desperate stink of Snyder's last Hail Mary to save the team, doesn't it? Yeah, I I actually don't really attach it to Snyder. I attach it more to Jason Wright and that Will Misselbrook hit-and-run dude that came in and was significant in it. Look, I, I think a lot of that was the Will, reason... Will, who, who is 
Will Will Misselbrook was the chief creative officer. He's the one that said, we need a brand that, you know, is pop culture, is food, is fashion. And I said, no, you don't. You need a brand. You need to focus on winning um, and everything else will take care of it. But, you know, I also, Zabe, have, have talked about in the past, and I'm curious as to what you think about this. This conversation that we're having, and when I say we're, you know, fans, past, present, um, it's 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 our conversation. The rebrand or the rebrand should be a priority or not a priority is a conversation among family, not outsiders. Because if you're not yeah. a legit fan, current or past, you can't relate. You know, you're an outsider to this conversation. You've never felt. You've never had that visceral sort of attachment um, like we have. I mean, you can have your opinion, but I'm personally not interested in the opinion of somebody who hasn't felt what we've felt before. I just don't think that it's appropriate to take their their view seriously. Of course not. No, I, I agree with that entirely, and it's also a factor of, our age, we're old, and so we remember what it was like. <laughs> there is a yes. whole generation that has known nothing but Snyder their whole life, and so they've known no real, legitimate, excellent football, so their perspective is skewed by that. It'd be like you and I talking about how great TWA was as an airline. Eastern <laughs> Airlines. Ooh, Eastern well, Airlines. My, right, Eastern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my, my father-in-law there, always talks saying, about yeah. how he had the Eastern Airlines, you know, top level, whatever. I'm like, Eastern Airlines? When did they fold? 1991? Maybe. Super Bowl <laughs> year, by the way. Um, dad, was Eastern Airlines any good? Yeah, yeah. Liked, uh, my dad liked it. Yeah, so did my father-in-law. Loved it. TWA, Western Airlines, right. Braniff. Braniff, sure. <laughs> um, all right, other than the brand, what what should Josh Harris's priority list look like? Or you can include, wh- where would brand name change? It sounds like it's number one for you, but what else should be on the priority list right when he takes over next week? Well, I mean... I'd say fire the coach, but some say, what good is that going to do you this year? Right. And I say, I, I'll give you that. I, I said, if it, if it tanks the season, the good will do you in the draft when actually uh, Caleb, uh, uh, what's his name, Williams. comes out of Southern Cal. Caleb Williams. I, look, tanking is an ugly thing. It's a hard thing. It's not fair to the players who are on your team. It's not fair to good soldiers like Terry McLaurin, who's put up really good numbers with just a conga line of scrubs throwing him the ball. So I feel I feel bad for that. But the problem with tanking is, as you know, it kind of works. Or it's kind of the best way to engineer a sharp turnaround. You know, maybe Sam Howell is good. I'll be intrigued to see how he plays. I still think it's, uh, you know... Not a not a better than fifty fifty shot, but you got nothing else going on. So there's that. I just I'm not a Rivera fan. I I lost faith in him quite a while ago. All right, two more. Um, you've got a bunch of relatives in Philadelphia. What are they saying about Josh Harris? I had a, I had Howard Heskin on the radio show this morning, and he. What is- what did the king? Uh, what did the king say? The king basically eviscerated Josh Harris and said, <laughs> "Snyder's a zero, 
The only thing you can say is that Harris is, isn't as bad as Snyder, but he's got him at a one. He basically called him a carpetbagger and said he's an opportunist, opportunist, and it's all about money. It's all about making wow. money. It's not about winning. Um, and as you wow. know, he owns the uh, Philadelphia Harris, 76ers. The owner, yeah, and Harris is the owner that hired, what's his name? Daryl Morey. Uh, process. Well, yeah, Sam Hankey. Sam Hankey first, yeah. Yeah, Sam Hankey. So anyway, I don't know. Harris has got to be better than Snyder. And I guess we're just going to have to see. Uh, do, but do your relatives in Philly have strong feelings one way or the other? Have no. Sh- okay. All no, right. my my one sports fan relative, uh, brother-in-law Todd, who I have dubbed uh, Todd, who knows just enough to be dangerous about sports. <laughs> yeah. I've heard you refer to Todd that way. All right, last one. I know you got a roll, uh, and the tables are waiting. Um, should Josh Harris mention Dan Snyder at all when he, you know, is introduced as the new owner in some sort of press conference late next week or the week after? No, absolutely not. I've said this as well. Don't say anything, even if it's perfunctory, even if it is so-called good business. I want to thank Dan and Tanya for making this transition smooth. And then, no, no, persona non grata. Don't mention his name. You bought the team, you got the team, new day, new era. Who? What? I don't know who you're talking about. I agree with that. Um, Good to catch up. Uh, Let's catch up when you get back. Sounds great. Thanks, Kevin. Steve Zabin, everybody. Uh, I always uh, enjoy our conversations, and I know we did a lot of golf. That was unexpected, unintended, um, but I know some of you actually liked it. Some of you may have just fast-forwarded it to the football conversation, which is fine. Uh, Yesterday at the end of the show, I left you with this Howard Cosell Monday night football intro into a Redskins-Cowboys game. And several of you tweeted me and said, loved listening to the end of the podcast, the Howard Cosell stuff. So I found something else, and I'll leave that with you here on our way out. Have a great weekend. Be back on Monday. offensive line is one of football's best, but today their reputation will be challenged by Lawrence Taylor and a fired-up New York defense. The Giants are confidently riding the crest of a six-game winning streak. And with the right calls from Phil Simms, they hope to roll a seven today. also face some stiff challenges today. First, their defense must contain Washington's fleet receivers, like Gary Clark. And their unheralded pass blockers will have to contend with Dexter Manley, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Manley relishes the spotlight, and today it shines brightly in the season's biggest game. Giants to victory in their first meeting, but today's rematch is at RFK Stadium, where the skins are hard to beat and where tickets are impossible to find. CBS Sports presents the National Football League. Today, it's the New
consecutive time. And believe me, there is no place to play, no more enthusiastic setup than RFK. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.